Good evening and welcome back to Ulcerative Colitis Motherhood and Me. I'm Ulcerative Colitis Mama. And before I proceed in tonight's episode, um, I just want to apologize once again um, for my extended absence from podcasting. Um, The last few weeks I've been quite challenging to say the least and that's basically what I want to talk about in tonight's episode and you know the reasons why perhaps I haven't had much time and or motivation and or anything else really to um to form my podcast um I'm quite disappointed really because I was hoping to do my 2022 wrapped um episode but unfortunately life tends to get in the way um so before I proceed into tonight's episode, um, I just want to put, as always, I would put trigger warnings in place, um, particularly because a lot of my content involves mental health, mental wellness, um, and some of the struggles I've had in the past and continue to have sort of throughout my life. So um, trigger warning place for anxiety, depression, low mood, um, stressors, um, I will be talking about uh, gynecological issues as well, um, just to give you the heads up. And also I'll be talking, probably dipping into things around sort of um, childbirth and various other things. So uh, without further ado, let's get started with tonight's episode. Okay, so where to begin? So um, following on from my last episode, obviously I was talking about like how low in mood I've been feeling lately and just how it had kind of come from nowhere really. Um, And just feeling like, well, why do I feel so low? I've just got married, just had a honeymoon. Life is good. Um, And, you know, I kind of tried sort of dissecting and microanalyzing everything and wondering, is there a particular thing? Is it just generalized, you know, just low mood? Is it the time of year? Um, To the point where I was getting a little bit obsessive about it, but I just felt like I'd lost my spark a little bit, lost my light. And, you know, my job is always going to be stressful and the lead up into winter is always a nightmare and so I couldn't necessarily blame it on that I couldn't necessarily you know just blame it on like you know winter and darkness and cold wet weather and because I do get probably like a little bit of seasonal affective disorder but not to the to the extent where I actually I'd come into work and bearing in mind I spend probably more time with those guys than I do at home when they were like, Lauren, you, you're not yourself. And is there something, something's happened, what's happened? And I was like, I don't know. I don't think anything's happened. I just don't feel good at the moment. I don't feel happy and I don't know why. And I wondered because, you know, that they, you know, people said, oh, could it be the wedding blues? And initially I kind of laughed that off because I thought that just sounds such a, like a, first world problem (laughs) you know it just sounds so silly that you feel depressed after your wedding because if anything you should feel quite elated I mean I felt very elated after I got married and it wasn't necessarily the wedding I was looking forward to it was the fact that I was going to be married to Big J which is something I always wanted to do I always wanted to be married to him 
and it was just kind of personally for me it just tidied everything up for the three of us you know anyway um you know I I considered it and I kind of you know disregarded it really because I thought I couldn't surely be this low because of that and you know the more time has gone on and I think um you know, and I've talked to talked to people about it, then yeah, maybe it was an element of that. Um and just that I think from sort of September twenty one right up until the wedding, it was a very good distraction. Um and with everything that had gone on earlier last year with um, you know, with my biological father and um losing my friend, um I kind of threw myself into the wedding planning because it was such a good, all-consuming distraction, and now I don't have one, and it's all over now, and I've got nothing to plan. I've got nothing to keep my brain as occupied as something like that, like a big life event. So yeah, maybe maybe there is an element of that in there. So following that and I kind of did take that on board as a possible reason why partly that I felt quite low um I kind of did sort of pick up a little bit again um on the build-up to Christmas and I always find Christmas a stressful time of year because it is especially when you've got kids and you know it's just you know um all of it and it's all hype and it's all money and it's all you know must-haves and food and just you know it's it's manic isn't it and you know and it is quite overwhelming um and but I did I kind of I I, my biggest issue is when I feel low I withdraw because other as the saying goes misery loves company company doesn't like misery so people don't like being around miserable people And from experience of having suffered with anxiety and depression for most of my young life um, and basically being told people are sick of walking on eggshells around me and that I kind of drag the whole mood down, I kind of, I take a step back from that because I don't want people, I don't want to infect people with my misery. It's a very personal thing when you're depressed or low in mood or anxious about something. It's a very personal, private thing. And, you know, and it is to a detriment to yourself because in a way you should be talking about that. And I, and I, I put my hands up quite wholeheartedly and say, I advocate for this. I advocate for talking about feelings and, you know, mental well-being because a problem have, you know, problem shared is a problem halved. But... I'm my also my own worst enemy and I I seldom take my own advice um as most of us do and it's easier for me to withdraw because I I don't have the answers either I don't you know and when people were asking me what was wrong and and I'd get upset but I said there isn't one specific thing that I feel sad about and you know, it it was, it was just quite hard to kind of explain it to people. And I, I didn't want to, I didn't want people to 
find my sort of company miserable company so I would kind of just go off in a little corner someone just get on with my work or get on with whatever I wanted to do and if it meant just kind of you know being a solitude really and um you know and it did I did start coming sort of out of myself I at one stage I didn't want to go to my work's Christmas party um because I just didn't see the part I just didn't feel I wasn't feeling it I just didn't want to go um I had nothing to wear again just that usual thing I put loads of weight back on and just not feeling particularly good about myself about the way I look so you know and it, it just all feeds into it so you're already in that like low and you just kind of you get into those habits and behaviors where it's just that negativity is just sort of reinforcing how low you feel and it just spirals out of control really and I was aware of it and I knew I recognized the signs I know the signs particularly myself when I'm not in a good place and and I felt frustrated because I couldn't figure out what it was specifically that was making me feel that way so I couldn't challenge it so I couldn't find a way to kind of get out of it and anyway it did kind of improve um and I think with the current sort of affairs of the health services are, are across the nation at the moment and you know um healthcare workers taking industrial action and chronic short staffing and winter pressures and and all that does have an impact and in a way it's nothing new it's nothing new but it has been particularly hard this winter and that's going to have an effect on your mental well-being when you're stressed and your prolonged stress it's just constant and that kind of helped my low mood even further um and I think because I knew I'd volunteer to work Christmas day as well um I felt that I was like oh I'm gonna have to get up super early I'm I'm not going to enjoy it as much because I'm going to have to, you know, work and what, if, you know, the state of work at the moment, it's going to be busy and I'm going to be own and blah, 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 blah. And it was just sort of playing my very small violin to myself. And, you know, and a part of me just thought, you know what, just go to work, just do what you got to do, go home and just enjoy the rest of the time because it worked out that I had a couple of days off afterwards. So, I wasn't really going to, you know, that for that state, a few hours working the day, it wasn't going to be a problem. Oh, but it was a problem. And <laughs> boy, it was a big problem. So this is basically where it just kind of spiraled from there. So I volunteered to work Christmas Day. So I went into work. I got up very, very early just so I could see little G on Christmas morning, opening his presents, just having all that and not having to rush to get to work. Um, so anyway, got to work. I'd already had this kind of feeling of foreboding anyway. You know, that kind of, you know, when you you wake up and you don't have a very nice dream and you, or you get up, you wake up too quickly and you just feel very unsettled. I felt like that all morning. Anyway, I get to work and with it being a holiday season, we kind of change things up a little bit just to make it a little bit easier for the other 
staff and blah, blah, blah. And it just kind of all went a bit south. So I ended up going to to visit patients, um, one who wasn't very well, one that had some sort of issues with medication. So anyway, it's pouring with rain. It's freezing cold. It's windy. Um, the first per- patient I went to see wasn't particularly friendly, um, which didn't really help. Um, and I kind of resolved that. And I was on my way to the next patient when basically disaster struck. So I was waiting at a junction on a particularly large roundabout, I would say. It's a massive, massive junction where I live. It's awful. It's like wacky races at the best of times. And bear in mind, it was Christmas Day, so it wasn't a particularly busy road at the time because, you know, only nutters are out on Christmas Day, aren't they? Let's face it, nutters like me that volunteer to work, for example. Anyway, I'm waiting at the junction. I'm completely stationary. I'm looking to my right to wait for traffic to pass. Bang. I get rear-ended by a lady in a very tiny hatchback. I sort of sit there. Now, bear in mind, I, I don't know if it's like a trauma response. I don't know what it was. But it felt like an age where I was sat in the car thinking, what the fuck has just happened? And I sort of check in on myself. Am I okay? Can I move my feet? Can I move my arms, legs? Am I hurt? I don't think I'm hurt. And it just seemed like an age before I got out of the vehicle to see what had happened. I thought, well, I'm in my uniform. It's the middle of the day. Well, quite early in the morning, to be honest. And I go to see the, the driver of the car that's just gone into the back of me. And yeah, she quite openly admitted fault. So I look at this, then I turn to look at the state of my car and it's not great. So basically the, um, the boot sort of, or for my, my, uh, listeners across the pond, the trunk is completely concaved and I'm lose. I've essentially lost my back bumper and it's now pressing into my rear tires basically not roadworthy um so I end up having a massive anxiety attack at the side of the road because not only has this just happened but I have patients to see I'm the only nurse on my team in the community there is nobody that can take over from me and the enormity of that responsibility hit me quite hard because I also had staff out there that relied on me to help them with any issues or directions or whatever. Um, and that was kind of my first priority, which probably in hindsight for the normal person, it probably isn't, but I think this is just how healthcare workers are hardwired to put other people first. So the first person I ring is one of my senior, um, colleagues who was covering in the hospital who came to my aid within about five, 10 minutes. And she was absolutely fantastic. And I, I owe her so much for her kind of peeling me off the ceiling. Um, I was also very lucky that there was a police officer just happened to 
come along the road at the same time. Um, so he did all his legal bits, took our details and everything, um, and got the car recovered. I contacted Big G in tears, absolutely hysterical. And he was like, sod the car, it's just a car, are you okay? I was like, I don't know. <laughs> so anyway, um, car gets taken away, the, the police get the recovery to take it away. Um, so I managed to scrabble most of my belongings out of it, particularly obviously my work stuff, because that's obviously high priority, high confidential stuff. Um, and all my, anything that's of value, um, Big G sort of packed away while conveniently two ambulances go past. <laughs> you can't write it, honestly. So uh, one of my colleagues apparently had flagged them down. They were on their way back from, from a job and they pulled up to, to check on myself and the other driver. So I'm in the back of an ambulance now, which has never really happened before. Not as, I've certainly not been there as a patient. I've only been there as like an observer. <laughs> um. And I'm crying my eyes out. I'm having, you know, obviously my blood sugar check, my blood pressure, which was through the roof. Surprise, surprise. And had an ECG done and, you know, had sort of been checked for concussion and neck pain and back pain. And I did come out of it with a bit of upper back pain, but otherwise very, very shaken. Um, so, yeah, I was that, that happened. Uh, so... Anyway, I managed to get a hold of other colleagues and everything work-wise was sorted. Um, and Big G took me home and I was just absolutely gutted. Um, and I know it's just a car, it's just a machine that takes you from A to B, as my brother would say. But that was a car I saved, you know, I, I really wanted and it wasn't a particularly, you know, flash car. It was just a nice good sized car that got us, you know, it's taken us on holidays. It's, you know, been the family car for, you know, three and a half years and, and that was it over in a second. And anyway, so that is, I've never, to this date, I have never had to make a claim on my insurance and my God, the rigmarole you have to go through. And in fairness, you know, all due you know, with I can't fault my insurer. They they were fantastic. They got everything kind of. I got a solicitor. I got a physiotherapist. I got a GP. I got, um, you know, I got the salvage company. I got a courtesy car. You know, and this all happened within days. I you know so, but it was just very very overwhelming. Um. And it was just, you know, it just, I was getting phone calls left, right and center. I was having emails. I was having the, um, the other driver trying to contact me. And I thought, you know, what? I can't, I can't deal with her. I know it was an accident, but the knock on effect it had not only on my, my life, but my work, it, you know, the, just everything really, it just, it just had this massive impact because she wasn't paying attention. And, you know, to this day, I won't know what it was that why she didn't stop. Apparently she didn't see me, but my car was quite a, you know, reasonably sized MPV. So it's not a, it wasn't a small car and it was the middle, it was 
half past 10 in the morning. It'd been raining, but it had stopped raining by that point. And it, you know, I was quite clearly stationary. I probably would have had my brake lights on as well. Anyway, I digress. So yeah, the the whole process I found very overwhelming because you you don't, although I'm completely not at fault, but there's always this thing that do I have, are there things that are they trying to catch me out? Is there, because what's happened is because I've had to, you know, I've, I've ended up uh, with personal injury from this. Granted, it's nothing serious and I'm very, very fortunate that it wasn't. But obviously I had to take time off work and, and all that that goes with it. And um, then I've had to see like an independent doctor to be examined. And you just feel like so they can compile a report. And you're like, but, you know, like I, I've done nothing wrong. But then you're like, you know, this is like two weeks down the line now. And my injuries are probably a little better than they were. But you do feel like what if they think I'm faking it? And I do, I think with the anxiety, I do get very paranoid. And I think with the, the this low mood that's been hovering around at the same time, I felt quite paranoid. And because I had to take time off work and things, it was just like, do people, you know, I because I wasn't ill, you know, I, I wasn't off work because I was ill or... I was off work because I'd had a car accident and that was quite a a thing to get my head around because it was like, well, what happens if people see me in public, um, you know, going to the doctors or the pharmacist or you, you, you do become quite, you know, I, I say you, but it, it, again, it's probably just me feeling that way and feeling like I was being watched all the time because insurance people are involved and I don't know. I just got very quite paranoid for quite a while, and um, and things like obviously I got referred to see a private physiotherapist, um, who I've seen this week. Lovely guy, um, and he's assessed me, and he has he has said you have got a back injury. We can work on that. We'll do a few sessions and we'll loosen it up. It's a lot of like musculoskeletal pain, which he said is very consistent with somebody who's had quite a, a, a knock from, you know, from a, another car into the back of yours, you know, and I just think, I know I'm genuine. You, it's, it's such a weird kind of feeling, but you know, you're being genuine, but you feel like you, that people are watching. I think it's because you see these things on telly where people claim personal injury and they don't. So you, I don't know if it's because I'm trying to over, you know, I'm overthinking it perhaps and being scared that people don't think I'm being genuine. And I think, but I'm not a liar. <laughs> I've, I've never been a liar. So why would I start lying now? Anyway, so that, that's all been going on. And thankfully I've been put on sort of lighter duties at, at work at the moment, um, considering you know obviously I um I've become incredibly anxious from driving now it's awful like loud noise like loud bangs and things like that like you know cars backfiring or hitting potholes and things I jump out of my skin um 
And I think it is just because it's it resonates from when my car got crashed into. And it's just so silly because it wasn't a particularly, it wasn't a serious accident. We both walked away from it. But it's left me feeling, well, if it's happened that it could happen again. Um. So it has like, um. so I got given a courtesy car and the only car they could give me was like an SUV and it's huge. It's absolutely huge because they knew they kind of put, try and get you a similar sized vehicle because of work and lifestyle and things. And to be fair, they did try and match it to the size of my car. My car was quite a small MPV. <laughs> I wouldn't even class it as an MPV. It was just like a slightly larger hatchback. So they give me this massive SUV that's got those kind of fold back so it could um, extend to a seven seater. So trying to park that, to be fair, it's very modern. It's got all bells and whistles on it and it does everything except park itself, unfortunately. So I'm having to reverse it onto my driveway, which is quite narrow. Um which is using all of my mental stability at the moment to be able to do that because I'm so scared of making any mark on this hire car or courtesy car in fear of getting into trouble. Um, But, you know, otherwise it's a lovely car, but every time I get in it, I get hot flushes. Um, And it's not because I have the heating on. I get very hot and I get palpitations every time I drive. And I know, and I, I said this to the, I went to see this independent GP today um, in in sort of view of my personal injury. And I sort of said to him, you know, I, because one of the questions was about fear of driving. And I answered yes, because it it's, I'm not phobic, but I'm very on edge when I get behind the driving seat now. I'm different as a passenger. I feel more because I think because I'm not, it's, I'm not responsible. I don't know. Um, and I said to him, I, you know, I do get quite nervous getting in the car, but I said, I know I have to. And he said, no, you do. He said, you're doing right by kind of pushing yourself. I said, I'm not pushing myself too hard, but I am, I'm not not driving because I said I'm a community nurse I need to drive for my job if I can't drive then game over I can't work in the community anymore and he said that that's good he said just keep just keep doing it but be gentle with yourself so you know just sort of doing essential journeys commuting and popping to the shop or popping to my mum's that very similar to how when I was first diagnosed with colitis staying in familiar territory nipping to my mum's because my mum is my mum's and dad's is my other safe haven apart from my own home so I know I can always go there it's it probably sounds a little bit crazy and convoluted but that's that's essentially what I do I, I go to places where I feel safe um and you know aside from its size it's a lovely it's a lovely car but it's a bit too big for me. So I'm kind of be glad when they come and pick it up next week. Um, 
so yeah, so that's been going on. Um, and then I've had other things going on as well. So it's trying to compartmentalize all these. So well, I've had all the issue with the car accident. Three days later, I had my gynae appointment. So for those of you who aren't familiar with the uh, snag situation, I'll give you a quick recap. Okay, so uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with the saga of Snag, as uh, it has been named, um, I'll just give you kind of like a brief synopsis. So basically, um, I sort of after having a little G, obviously that's when I started getting the um, symptoms and the then diagnosis of ulcerative colitis. So then I started having to think about contraception. And although I was on oral contraceptives, I was sort of advised against it, you know, due to malabsorption and things and the sort of efficiency of them with, you know, my bowel not behaving. Um, I opted for a more longer term device. And so I went to get the coil fitted. So anyway, that was it for, you know, didn't have to worry about it, had no issues, no issues with it going in. Um, you know, absolutely fine. Forgot about it. Great. So then fast forward to July 21 now. So I know the five years is coming to an end. So I know I have to go and get it swapped over for a new one, trade it in as you, uh, if you will. So I couldn't pinpoint the exact date. Um, so when they, they, um, give you the, quite all the, insert it um they um give you like a little credit card almost and it sort of tells you like obviously the serial number of the device um who fitted it when it expires and things like that could i find that card after five years no i don't think so uh it's probably in one of my many drawers somewhere that, you know, everybody has that random drawer that's just full of random shit. I have about 20 of them in this house. So yeah, I wasn't going to find that, was I? Never mind. But I knew obviously, you know, trying to sort of me dates, obviously when little G was born. So then I thought well, it was probably about six, six, eight, six, eight, ten weeks, something like that. I knew I'd had to have seen uh, Dr. M at some stage have my diagnosis and start my treatment because otherwise I wouldn't obviously have gone there so I figured July would be a safe bet at least having it changed a little bit earlier was better than having it change late so anyway off I go to the um, sexual health clinic at my local hospital um, you know the type where you, you kind of look over your shoulder and make sure nobody you know sees you go in because then like oh what are you doing there you know even though it's completely genuine and it's very responsible of you to go to attend to your sexual health clinic appointments anyway so thought it'd be quite straightforward of course it wasn't going to be straightforward this is me we're talking about so 
yeah, after what felt like half an hour, it probably wasn't even that long, of the doctor um, tugging and nothing happening. Now, with the sort of the um, the way the coil works is the threads that I'm trying to do this in the most sort of non-descriptive way. There's threads that hang down, which enable removal or retrieval. Um, and what it does, it folds in in itself and it comes out. That did not happen in my case. It just, just didn't. And it was very uncomfortable. And the doctor said, like, do you know what? Let's just stop this. I'll book you in for an ultrasound just to make sure it's where it's supposed to be. And we'll refer you on to gynecology. And that was that. So was a bit, as with anything in that region, it is a little bit undignified and it is a bit embarrassing. Um, and I was, you know, I was a bit gutted because it was just like, well, I thought it'd be straightforward. I thought it'd be all sorted. No, it's still there. So anyway, um, fast forward to November 21, I go for an ultrasound, um, and the sonographer has a look. She said, you know what? It's in the right place. Don't worry about it. Um, it's probably just caught on a little bit of muscle or it's gone perhaps where, you know, you've had your baby and it's, everything's not gone back to where it's supposed to have gone back to. It's probably snagged on something, hence the name snag. So, yeah. So that was November 21. I then get a phone call from the sexual health doctor and she said, look, I've seen the scan results and just let you know, I have made the referral to gynecology. So just hang tight and wait for your gynecology appointment. July 2022, <laughs> I still haven't heard anything. Um, I think when I'd contacted the patient um, appointments service, they sort of more or less said, because I wasn't a priority, understandably, um, that it would probably be about 12 months. So I kind of panicked a little bit and said, oh, well, tw 12 months with this obsolete device and you know um having to be quite extra sensible about things um so anyway I July 22 comes around so I'm you know 12 months post kind of referral so I chased it up again and by the time you get through to the correct department, blah, 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 because there are different appointment people depending on which department you need. And eventually I get through and they said, you're looking at another 12 months, possibly. And I, But I said, I've been waiting 12 months already. Yeah, you're probably going to wait another 12. And I just remember feeling completely deflated. Because I said, okay, I appreciate I'm not a priority. There are women out there that need to be seen way before me. And that's absolutely fine. But you kind of have this idea in your head you're going to be seen by then. So you kind of accept it and, you know, get on with it. Um, 
no, that didn't happen. Anyway, I sort of panicked a little bit and, um, and anyway, I got contacted probably about November time and they said, look, there is a little bit of a silver lining. And they said, would you be willing to travel? (laughs) So I said, where to? So my local health board um, has three district hospitals under its umbrella. And of course, it was the the third hospital, um, which is the furthest away, that they said they are um, basically, if you want to be seen this year, we advise you to go there. It's entirely your decision. We are asking our patients to see if they're willing to travel to be seen. So I said, you know what? Yeah, let's go for it. Cross that bridge when we come to it. So basically this hospital is uh, about 60 miles away. So you can imagine it's like 100, 120 plus miles uh, round trip. So... I um, make arrangements, get me appointment booked, and that's that. But lo and behold, I have the uh, prang in my car three days previously. So I had all that going on. So anxiety, adrenaline, just everything just was completely out of whack. So anyway, uh make the journey up to this uh, sister hospital 60 miles away with Big G driving and initially I'm not that worried because you know I've been led to believe it was just kind of like a consultation long bloody way to go for consultation which is probably you know from my experience it's probably about 15-20 minute jobby anyway so I go up I sit there waiting quite a while um, and I go through and I meet the gynecologist and lovely lady, very nice, genteel lady. And she said, right, I understand X, Y, and Z has happened. So yeah, great. She said, oh, you know, your ultrasound scans look great. So do you want me to have a go now? And I can just pop another one in while I'm here and then job done. So she seemed pretty confident. So I was like, yeah, okay. Hop off. I hop onto the uh, couch and um it didn't go so well so it could have been a combination of things first of all it was incredibly uncomfortable um she i did not heed her warning when she said that sexual health doctors are too gentle apparently gynecologists are not so yeah okay we'll go with that one so it was incredibly uncomfortable um and and I don't know whether it was that or because I had other stresses going on and I was still very much up there with the shaken uh, anxiety, adrenaline-filled issues from Christmas Day. I then, rather surprisingly to myself, uh, not to mention the doctor and the nurse who was chaperoning, that I burst into tears on the couch um, and I was sobbing. And I was completely mortified because, well, it's not something you usually do at a health appointment. I was absolutely inconsolable. And it's it's not, for those of you who've ever had any sort of investigations, that, like more invasive investigations, 
there it's not great it's not it's it's not a um and it's it's a very sensitive area that's well it is um but it's also it's a very private and it is very so it's not nice anyway I then start apologizing profusely um because I'm British and we were very good at apologizing and it did take me a few minutes to sort of calm down a little bit and I said I'm so sorry I don't know where that came from and and she said look you know let's just you know she said clearly you're in a lot of pain there um she says I don't understand why because your ultrasound scan says everything's as it should be um I don't think she realized how old that scan was so that wasn't so good so I leave the um appointment with tears on on my face and as soon as I see big G I start crying again and I was I was in quite a lot of quite a bit of discomfort for the rest of the night then um and they said look we'll we'll book you in for an urgent hysteroscopy um so yeah that's you know I've had cameras you know everywhere now so let's you know just add a hysteroscopy to the you know the bucket list shall we so they said look we'll be in touch it'll be an urgent appointment so um I kind of put it to the back of my mind thinking do you know what it'll probably be about February, March by the time I get this appointment because that's kind of how the current state of things are going. So I thought, just put that on a shelf for now and just deal with the car shit going on right now. Anyway, the um, I get the appointment through two days later and that was for Monday that's just gone. So I was like, oh God, I don't think I'm mentally prepared to go back to see gynecology I don't think I can do it so um anyway off I traipse this time um and slightly different appointment because obviously it's a little bit more invasive so there's like things I have to do I have to do a urine sample because I've got to rule out pregnancy because pregnancy can't be uh hysteroscopy can't be carried out if there is a chance that you could be pregnant and I was thinking, oh, well, that would just be the icing on the cake right now, wouldn't it? That really would, the way my luck has gone this these last few weeks. So uh, my mum took me this time because Big G was working. So I'm getting more nervous. It's an early start, early appointment. Um, and thankfully, in, in, a, in a way, my mum has had very similar experiences, again, with the same device. So it's I'm blaming her for my shoddy uterus. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So I go up and I meet a lovely nurse. Um, I go in 15 minutes early, which was completely, took me by surprise. And do you know what? The team were absolutely fantastic. It was all all nurses. I'm not dissing doctors at all by any way, any way of the imagination. Um but it was just a more calmer environment. It was a more, um, I had to sit in like a special seat, which was more, perhaps probably more comfortable. Um, although I was sort of only wearing socks from the waist down. In hindsight, I probably should have taken my socks off. But anyway, I don't think they really cared. 
Um, so again, the um, I spoke to the the nurse, and it really escapes me what her name was, but she was absolutely lovely. And she sort of explained that she, you know she was a highly skilled specialist nurse, and she said, "If I call my colleague in, please don't panic. It's just she's got more experience in this field than I have." Um, and there's nothing she can't remove basically. So I was like, Oh, okay. You know, and I did feel a bit more at ease. And I think because I was more prepared for the appointment, I kind of knew what kind of knew a little bit more what to expect pain wise. So I had local anesthetic this time, which was a little bit uncomfortable, but only temporarily. And I had a lovely healthcare support worker who was talking to me and kind of distracting me, which was great. Um, and so basically this nurse started, she, she had a look and she said, uh, right, we've got no threads. And it turns out that the doctor at the previous appointment two weeks or a week and a half previously had actually detached the threads which does happen apparently, but she didn't actually tell me. But probably because I was in that state of complete anguish, she probably thought, you know, I'll let the the nurse tell her at her next appointment because I don't think she can handle it. So it complicated things a little bit more that if you if they can't see the threads, it involves a little bit more investigation. So she said, look, I, I'll, I'll go, I'll try. But as she was sort of having like, she was like, I can't find it. So I was like, what do you mean you can't find it? She said, I'm just going to call in my colleague. She said, but I can't find it. So I was like, well, where has it gone? <laughs> uh, anyway, this other nurse comes in, who's a little bit more experienced. Um, and she said, you know, chatting about it. And she said, it, it can happen. She said, it can be self uh it can be expelled from the body um and she said because it's so small you probably wouldn't have felt it so I was like I hope that's the case I really hope that's the case so anyway she had to go and she said you know I'm just going to use the hysteroscope if you don't mind so I said well you know crack on it's absolutely fine I'm already in you know sort of already uh assuming the position just get on with it um anyway after a little bit of rustling around um you know minus the pit pony and the you know the davy lamps and the canaries going in um they were able to locate the coil or what's left of it unfortunately the uh because I was getting a little bit of discomfort again but not to the extent that I had with that doctor a couple of weeks previously it turns out that the coil had decided to float off on its merry way itself and it was now quite securely embedded in the wall of my uterus and kind of leaning in on my left fallopian tube. So I was like, well, that'll look out for the pain I had in my left side then. (laughs) So I was trying to make it light, you know, because like Chandler from Friends, when I feel awkward, I try and make funny out of things. It just makes me look weirder, but I when it's a very awkward, it's incredibly socially awkward being there, semi-naked in a room full of, thankfully all women, but in a room full of people. 
Um, so they said, look, the, you know, the safest option now is to send you, you know, to, to again, abandon this appointment now and refer you for a general anesthetic. And that's the only way we, we're going to have to surgically remove it. So I was like, huh, great. <laughs> Yay. Um, so yeah, that's where I'm currently standing now. I'm currently waiting for an urgent appointment to go back again to the sister hospital 60 miles away, but this time to go to the day case unit to be knocked out, to have the same procedure again, and then to eventually, hopefully, get a new coil fitted. Part of me is not wanting it. Part of me is thinking, am I going to have to go through the same rigmarole again in five years' time? Because potentially I've got another 15-ish years of um, before, obviously, I go into... The change so I could may need two or three further coils after that so if I wanted them so then I thought do I just go on the pill and just hope but then I think even without active uh colitis at the moment it's there is always I don't know how how well my bowel absorbs so you know it's kind of weighing up the options I should have sent big g for the snip that's basically all I keep saying to him now um, so that's the current state of affairs at the moment. So I have been, I haven't had a general anesthetic since I was seven and that was just for a tooth extraction. So that's, you know, I'm, I'm nearly 36. So you can imagine that's quite a long time ago and I have no memory of it. That's probably a good thing. Um, but I, um, I'm really scared of having a general anesthetic and I know it's silly because the list, the, the risks are really low and you've got every man and his dog in the room with you. And, you know, and I know from a professional point of view, I know how safe it is, but from a civilian point of view, I'm absolutely terrified. And I think it's that again, having anxiety and not being able to have control because I'll have absolutely no control when I'm under general anesthetic, will I? So, um, and plus the fact it's going back to the hospital, um, miles away, it's going to be an all day thing. I'm going to have to take more time off work and, you know, it's just, it, it's, well, it's hassle as, as is the car, the car is hassle. So yeah, I'm waiting for that letter to come through and I'm also on the cancellation list. So I could basically be called up at any time in the next few weeks. So I am a little bit nervous. I think is putting it sort of quite mildly. So to say I'm feeling sorry for myself is probably the correct term. Um, so I've got that going on. So I've got that, the medical issues going on, the car thing going on. I also had a phone call this morning, um, basically, which confirmed my fears that, unfortunately, my car has been deemed um, beyond economical repair, which essentially means they've written my car off um, because it probably works out cheaper than to pay for the um, repairs. 
So that's like hassle again, because now I've had to relinquish ownership of my vehicle, which means I no longer own a car. And it's just, I mean, it is just, it's more of an inconvenience. I know that. And I think because I get, I I feel big feelings. Um, The feelings I get are very, you know, I, I think they call it overreacting, but I like say to just react on a large scale. Um, I, I feel quite sad about it. I feel, I, I felt quite pissed off the last couple of weeks because one person's lack of concentration has caused this much aggravation for me. Um, it's massively inconvenient. It's a lot of hassle and it's come at a cost to me as well. And though my insurer have been quite generous in their payouts because my car is probably not worth the amount that they've offered, <laughs> um, bless my car, um, it's still not enough to pay for a new car. So I am going to have to seek more financial support to be able to buy myself a new car um, and get it insured and taxed and everything else um uh, which is really really sad because you know and I know it's only a machine it's only a vehicle that has no feelings but I bloody love that car and it you know and it was a car that I really wanted and I saved up for and you know granted I it had a few bumps and scrapes on it um but it was an absolute war horse that car I had and I loved it considerably um and then of course like I started panicking because I've still got belongings in the car and of nothing of major value but my rise against albums in there <laughs> um the cd the, the you know um my cd that I uh got in 21 and uh, <laughs> and you know a it is, it's, it's imitate, you know, it's just material things. I got all the stuff that was of value. Well, big G got all the stuff that was of value and removed it from the vehicle at the scene. But it's just things like, I don't, it, it's my little, it was my little private space. It was my little, my office on wheels, you know, it was, it, it, it'd been on so many days out. It'd been on holidays. It'd been on, you know, just thing, just, you know, it was, I absolutely adored that car and I was so happy when I got it because it was a car I'd wanted for a long time because it just ticked all the boxes for me and it was my first expensive car or ish, you know, and it was my first car that had quite high spec in it and I was just, I just loved it so much and somebody's taken that away from me now and I feel quite sad about that. And just things now it's going to be scrapped probably or or auctioned off or dismantled or God knows what. And I just feel like quite sad about that. Um, and hopefully I wouldn't have lost any personal belongings that are in it either. Um, but, you know, so I've spent the day looking for my spare key again. <laughs> my spare car key, which was in one of the many drawers that I lost things in, um, you know, and just like the log book and signing it over and, and things. And it was just a bit of a 
bit of an end of an era, really. Um, so, I mean, which means my courtesy car is going to be taken away. So, because that will come to the end of the term then, because the settlement's being made. So, this is like, effectively, the claim is going to be closed down. So, the big, massive monster truck that they have given me... Um, temporarily will have to go back to the dealership so I'm not gonna have access well I am going to have access to a car that's a complete lie but I'm just gonna feel like a little bit of a bit of a loss really so thankfully Big G has a van and a car so he can use the van and I can use the car Um, I'm insured fully on his car even though it's very small and not very nice but it's it's a means to an end and it's a car and I'm very lucky that I'm able to do that because otherwise I'd be getting the bus to work so you know um you know so it is just uh, as as we say locally it is a ball ache um at the moment so it just seems to have all come at once and I'm just thinking please just the universe just give me a break because I do I felt very deflated and it, you know, we're only midweek and I feel completely deflated already. And then I've got, for, as of Friday, I'm doing a seven day stretch at work. So I'm going to work, I'll be working back to back for the next seven days. Then I'll be off for a few days, which means that'll be my opportunity to, to buy another car. But it is, it's just... It's all starting out again. I was hoping to keep that car a little bit longer. I'm still paying it off. So I'm going to have to speak to the bank. Uh, You know, it's just absolute hassle. Um, So that's one of, there are a few examples of why I haven't been able to post any podcast episodes lately. Um, You know, it's just been all a bit of a mess the last couple of weeks. So that's basically the crux of it and you know the sort of the main reasons why I haven't been so um active on my social media platforms is because well frankly I don't have the time second of all I've had, lacked all motivation and sort of you know I've, I've been wanting to and I really really wanted to kind of air and vent like I normally do on my podcasts but it's just been I've just been completely overwhelmed by it. And I and I know it's all kind of relative and it's all very silly and you know, nothing, there's nothing life-threatening in any of that that I've worried about. Um, you know, and I I appreciate there's thousands and thousands of people out there that are in a much worse situation than I am. And that would be, you know, if they were going through similar things, they would be in they will, you know, they'd be in a much worse sort of um situation and I I'm certainly in and I'm very privileged and lucky that I can resolve certainly the car situation that can be resolved it's just a piece of metal with wheels on it I just need some back into you know I need a machine to get me from A to B and back to A again that's that's all I need um it's just hassle and bother and paperwork and going out and looking for things, you know, going out and looking for the right one and and all that business and getting all the 
everything you know all the legal bits sorted um so it's no more than a massive inconvenience in that respect and you know and I do feel quite sad about my car and that it's no longer fit for purpose and no longer mine um but that's life unfortunately um the logical side of my brain in regards to the gynecology stuff that was going to happen regardless whether I had my car accident or not so you know and the surgical route is the only way forward from this now and the most efficient and probably safest route um so I have to accept that okay I'm completely terrified of the prospect of having a general aesthetic but it's a means to an end and I've got to do it so the logical part of me which is the much quieter voice inside my head is saying you know this is this is what's got to happen to to make the situation better and safer and resolve it the irrational louder voice the voice of anxiety is saying oh but this could happen and this could happen and oh no what happens if this happens and uh, and it's such a massive inconvenience yes it's everything's a massive inconvenience at the minute yes it's a pain in the ass that I have to travel you know 60 miles there and back um because my my local hospital doesn't lacks the facilities that I need to be seen there and it wouldn't have been that much of an issue um you know and it yes I know I need to take more time off work and x y and z but it's my health at the end of the day and you know I I've got to look after myself this is any body I've got um granted it's falling to pieces but (laughs) you know it's it's just all happened at once really I'm well and truly being tested these last couple of weeks um and yeah it's made me feel a little bit less sociable and I've felt a little bit more withdrawn um I know work have tried to you know while I've been off these last few days work are organizing like social get-togethers outside of work and as much I know I want to go I know I do because I love the people I work with and you know it would be lovely and nice but I just can't face the prospect of planning anything that I you know and this is it this is the the irony of it is I probably need the distraction but I don't want the distraction so it's just (laughs) you can't win really um and that's the wonderful thing about mental health um you know because again I very much when I feel a bit fed up rather than just pushing myself and actually going out and enjoying myself and looking for things that actually give me pleasure and make me happy I withdraw and just make myself more miserable and I don't want to get to that stage again where I end up depressed again because that's just a whole new kettle of fish and that's a lot harder to shake off anxiety is always going to be with me it's always going to be that annoying little housemate that lives with me and just gives me a prod now and again or reminds me of things now and again but anxiety on a whole is a safety mechanism all the all these you know top therapists and um sort of uh and you know these um you know specialist people who work in the field of mental health will say that essentially 
Anxiety is just trying to keep you safe. To the extreme, but it is trying to keep you safe. Depression, not so much. Depression wants to uh, do the opposite. Depression doesn't want to keep you safe. So I don't want to go back there again. And with everything going on with my job and stuff like that, I'm trying to find a safe place. I'm trying to stay, I'm trying to find a little like port in a storm, basically at the moment, which is what I know I need. Um, I probably need two weeks in a spa resort, but you know, that's, <laughs> that's something else. I know I, from, from years of the therapies and things that I've had over the years to, to treat my mental ill health, I have the tools and I, to an extent, I know the answers, but it's taking those steps because I know if I don't not necessarily shake this off because that just sounds like I'm invalidating how I feel about things because I feel things probably on a more amplified level than perhaps somebody who doesn't have anxiety. I I feel things to the extreme and I, I guess that's why they call sort of people like myself to give the term empaths and things because emotions are so big and you you feel it and even if they're not your emotions you feel them too so I know I need to kind of get out of this rut before I go further deep deep into it because if I go further deep into it that's when depression starts threatening itself again and I I do not want to be depressed again and it's so there is a little bit of fight left in me and I I kind of know what I need. I think once I've had a few more sessions of physiotherapy, I'll feel more confident to go back and do some more exercise, which means I'll be getting out of the house, which means I'll be getting some fresh air, I'll be getting some mental stimulation outside of the workplace. When I get my new car, you know, I'll have my independence completely restored because it'll be my vehicle that I can use again back to how I was pre-Christmas. I, you know, things will fall into place. It's just, just a hell of a rut at the moment. And it's kind of prioritizing what needs what. I'll feel much better once I've had my surgery. Snag is, you know, forcibly removed. And yeah, maybe new snag is put in its place, but it's dealing things one step at a time. And, you know, as my dear mum will say because my mum is a very wise bird um it's treating treating these things as separate things it's not all one big massive convoluted train wreck there's three separate issues there there's my work stress my car stress and my health stress and it's just kind of trying to tick them all off as and when they happen and you know so I've got a bit of a reprieve at the moment because until I get my appointment through, I don't need to worry so much about the snag issue. Just concentrate on the car issue and then everything else will hopefully fall into place. We can only hope. Okay, just to wrap things up now, I realise I've been talking for well over an hour, which is probably a whole new record for me on this podcast. Um, 
And this is probably about my fifth or sixth take now to try and wrap things up because I just keep going off on a tangent. So yeah, I'm very aware that my anxiety isn't great at the moment, but I am also aware that I don't want anything to get any worse. So I am trying to be as objective as I can about this and just sort of treat everything as separately as I can. Um, And hopefully things will just, as everything sorts out with the car insurance and the, you know, work and, you know, my health issues and things like that, hopefully things will start to settle down a little bit. Um, Because my anxiety just feeds off things that, you know, like lack of routine and um, just feeling overwhelmed. So I just need to know, you know, just I have the tools and the recognition now to know when I don't feel good, um, which means I need to stop withdrawing if I get that urge to do so, because that's kind of counterintuitive for me. And it's also completely um, against what I stand for as a mental health advocate as well. So keep talking. And yes, I am going to pay attention to my own advice now as well. So I am going to keep talking to select few closest people just so they know where I'm at just so I can vent a little bit and you know just just so I know just for that little bit of reassurance if nothing else as well um as I always say at the end of every single podcast episode please keep talking please keep you know um if you're not feeling great it's January everybody hates January you know just keep talking to people just just remember every feeling is temporary and this storm will pass and just know that you know I always have those useful links up on my website which is wordpress.com forward slash ulcerative colitis motherhood and me so there is a drop down menu there you can have a look and there's a few sort of um, links to websites and useful information there um look into your sort of online charities look into you know peer support speak to somebody you can trust and just keep talking um you know the more we talk it breaks down the stigma of mental health and it does as they say a problem shared is a problem halved um and there is some truth in that so Without further ado, I'm now going to bore off and go to bed (laughs) and take care. I will try not to leave it months and months before I post a podcast episode again. I will try and keep my Instagram updated and I will keep you updated on the snag saga, which you'll probably end up with movie rights if it carries on any longer. So good night, guys. Take care. Keep talking. Good night.